Hi, thanks so much for joining us with APC Chats, where we basically work to spotlight people, voices, and opinions that deserve a platform and may not often get it. That said, feel free to join us in the conversation, following us at APC Collective on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I am Audrey Ponzia with APC Collective. I have with me here today a good friend and colleague, Erica Hess from Plume Marketing. Welcome, Erica. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. And I mentioned a little bit before, we're kind of just testing out this idea of sharing people's stories. And we have a lot of friends and a lot of smart people that we're blessed and fortunate enough to work with on a consistent basis. And and more than anything, as storytellers of our own and, and kind of an agency that is dedicated to sharing stories, we just want to do that for the people that we admire, the people that we work with, and the people that we trust to give you guys more of a, a showcase because I feel like it doesn't happen too often, especially for people like you and I that are more more behind the scenes. So Today, we wanted to talk to you as a business owner, as a master narrative builder about stories and and the evolution of storytelling and what does that look like. So I'll let you start with your story. Okay, well, hmm, where do I start? Uh, Well, I've lived in Austin now for, uh, I guess, 20 years coming up on 21 years. So I've seen this week in particular um, really evolve uh, South by Southwest and seen our city evolve along with it. And I've evolved as well. Um, came here for college to go to UT, uh, was a communications major, specifically um, got a journalism degree with a specialty in public relations. And I started out uh, working at big PR firms, global firms, uh, Fleischman Hillard, Conan Wolf. Um, I enjoyed that, but um, I always uh, gravitated toward writing um, and strategy development most of all. And, um, you know, it's all for the jobs within communications, you know, have a writing component, have a writing component. But I just found myself more and more kind of... um, specializing in that um and so i went out on my own oh gosh nine years ago now um thank you i started freelancing um at night and got to the point where um i was basically working two jobs i'd either work till like three or four or get up at three or four um i was doing freelance writing on the side and i saw that i could definitely um, have a full client load. And so I ended up striking out on my own and have been out on my own ever since. So as Plume, um, I specialize in message development and copywriting, um, both short form and long form. So uh, long form being something like an annual report, um, that might be like 50 to hundred pages or, um, short form being something like, you know, um, banner ad on website or short headlines throughout website and then you know something in between might be a website itself involves lots of short bits of copy long bits of copy as well and I've I've benefited from having worked with you at some of those big agencies or at least one and then as a consultant on projects that I've been fortunate to work on and I know that there's a lot that goes into even just a short statement there's a lot of iterations to any one particular word and there's some careful choosing 
of copy. What have you found in your years of developing stories? Like, what does it take? How do you look at a client and say, this is what I want to choose for you? Like, what is, what is that process of distillation? I feel like it is. Um, what does that come down to? Um, I think that it always comes down to just asking who who, who cares, basically. Yeah. Like, also, as a copywriter, <laughs> is distillation a word? I feel like I misuse that. It is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Did I say Yeah, that right? distillation. It can, English, it, no, so yeah, good. it could refer to water, the distillation of water, mm. spirits. There we go. A story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I would say just asking, you know, first of all, like, who cares? Like literally like who, who, who cares about this? Who's the audience? Mm -hmm. And then also like, what do they care about? Like what's most important to them? Um, you know, something could on its outset look really boring. Like, okay, this is this like piece of software that like runs the thing that runs the thing that runs the thing that you see. (laughs) Basically it's like, several layers removed but you know there's someone there's an audience for that there's someone who specifically it's their job to do the thing run the thing and you know like let's find out what they care about and you know and um tell a story about that you know how does this make your job easier you know what are the what are the things that are new different um that'll kind of revolutionize your life even if you know it's a pretty small audience that so name some of your clients if if you're okay to do that. I kind of want to give people an idea of just who is behind some of the bigger brands that we know today. Sure. So uh, I have been working with Dell for about six years now, writing their corporate responsibility report. So that outlines um, all of their efforts to um, be more environmentally responsible and more socially responsible around the world. So it's everything from today. I'm writing about their efforts to trace the use of conflict minerals. So yeah. um, just, you know, what what minerals are used in electronics, where do they come from? And just, you know, writing about things like why, why is that important? Well, you know, a lot of um, times the mining industry is funneling profits to um, armed rebel groups. Wow. So, you know, you don't want your money to support that. And so, um, you know, they're, they've been really stringent in kind of getting that down to, to zero. I mean, of course it's never on purpose, but mm-hmm. it's just the, the, Tracing that usage is is the hard part. It's like, because again, there's many layers of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one example. Um, and then um, I've done work for Whole Foods over the years. Um, I also just wrote a um, sustainability report for a large solar company called SunPower. Mm-hmm. So I definitely like um, things with a sustainability focus Bent, yeah. yeah and then also um another longtime client is the downtown austin alliance which really? has been a really interesting client because i always learn a lot about um you know you see all the cranes in the sky and wonder mm-hmm. like what the story is behind all those developments and so through them i get to learn what they are what the story is how downtown's developing um you know there's a lot of things that come together with that as well just everything from um, like there's some exciting things happening. Like there's an emerging innovation district, mm-hmm. um, downtown with the medical school and the teaching hospital and, um, the redevelopment of Waller Creek. So just how that Northeast, um, kind of corner of downtown is going to be revitalized. So I so learn a lot about scoop. Yes. Yeah. 
So you've spent a lot of your career focused on kind of helping highlight, showcase, and make make causes known and kind of, I guess, share with the world some of the more um, socially responsible programs and companies. Has that been on purpose? Did you purposely seek out to work with companies that are only doing good or purposely seek out to work on projects that only highlight some sort of a community benefit or give back? Um, yes, I would say so, because that's what's most interesting to me. And that, mm. that kind of started back in my PR days. I found that I, I mean, there's a lot about doing PR that I didn't personally like, but I found that I enjoyed it more when I had clients that were more cause related. So it started out with um, Insure a Kid, where was the, yeah. the <laughs> um, when the Children's Health Insurance Program came to Texas. So I enjoyed working on that. And then I went on to, um, at another agency called EnviroMedia, um, we focused on environment, um, clients that had to do the environment or public health, so like the Don't Mess With Texas campaign, um, teen um, smoking prevention campaigns, things like that. So I just found that that was what I was drawn to, and then in writing, because I had also that network already that, um, and that, um, you know, some expertise in those areas that was kind of continued on, which... I'm happy to continue on doing that. How much, how much do you think, you know, and I, I remember, and we started out at Fleischman together back in 1999. Yeah. And I remember the internet bubble bursted and it was like, there's a lot of companies that were guilty, a lot of service oriented companies that were guilty of taking retainers and not asking harder questions, right? Like what does end to end solution mean? What is that really about? And kind of fluffing up or propping up industries or, you know, companies, startups that didn't really have an end goal or an end value. So what is the role, I guess, and this is kind of a heavy question, but what is the role of a consultant or, you know, a hired firm or a hired team in making sure that not only are you doing what the client is asking and sharing their best story, but really holding them accountable to live it, especially as you develop like CSR reports or kind of like the feel good messaging, like how how is it incumbent upon the, the agency team or the counselors to be like, do we really demonstrate these values? Are we really holding ourselves true to these standards? Is there a role for that? Or should we just kind of like do the work and make them look right? Um, I think so. And it, it, you can kind of blame it on storytelling in a way mm-hmm. where you can yeah. say, well, there's not really a story here or just, I think, explaining that, you know, there's if we want to tell the story that you want to tell, there's not a lot to back it up. It's thin. It's, you know, if someone asks, a, we could state something, but if someone asks a question like, okay, well, you claim that you're really green in this area. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what do you, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. People are, I think consumers are just demanding more and more information. And so I think it's harder to make it, make, make some it of those claims too. So I think just, bringing it back to that the you know we you've got to be prepared for questions do you think that now more than ever i feel like um the independent factor and there's some there's some real hardship to being on your own and and i know this and we've been talking about it all day kind of with the other people that we've been able to interview but there's some reinforcement of your backbone that you get to say not that project or I don't want to do this or I don't believe in this and you can kind of stand your own ground as opposed to just taking whatever comes yeah I think that that's one of the biggest benefits to being on your own and quite that's 
one of the reasons that I stay on my own too, I mean, just thinking about working somewhere would really have to be a really special place that I felt like I really believe in all that we're working on. I mean, you know, of course not every project's going to be like exciting and sexy, but <laughs> just as far as believing in it and saying like, I, you know, I, I like all these people. I believe in what you're doing. Yeah. I, it's nice to, to be able to say demand your own project at base, I guess. One of, one of the things that I think has changed the landscape of storytelling, um, and granted you focus on long form, but then you also do short form cause I've, I've seen your work and, and I'm impressed with it always all just why we're here. I don't think we should Thank be friends. <laughs> I wasn't impressed, but, um, what do you think about social media and what that's done to our attention span or what it's done to the appetite for quick details versus, you know, long form facts? Like how has that changed the role of a storyteller? Well, I think that, you know, there's a lot of positives and that I really like that now we can, there's no, it's stripped out kind of the, some of the middlemen in the industry where you can talk directly to consumers. It makes them a lot, it makes it a lot harder sometimes to find like the right people to talk to. But, but yeah, as far as the attention span, um, I think there's still a role for both social media and, you know, more in-depth content. I know I can't think of the exact studies but I've seen some things about like that actually longer articles online often are more widely read Mm -hmm. and so I think that there's a role for social media drawing you in and then um you know you can get more information yeah I think that I think if it's something that people are interested in that they still want more in-depth information they just don't want to have to comb through that for any you know everything they need so it's like the you've got the headlines that do the work of you know kind of um grabbing your attention moving your attention around like a a a site or or printed piece but the the longer information's there if you need more what do you think um who are some of your favorite storytellers whether they're brands or personalities um or authors if I'm going to be really honest, one of my one of my favorite writers is this um, writes a celebrity gossip site called Delisted, and he's just hilarious. And I just his turns of phrase are so clever that like I had kind of abandoned celebrity gossip because mm-hmm. I was a little bit like disgusted by myself caring, <laughs> but he has lured me back in. Is he's the only site that yeah. I that I read just because it, it it's off color, yeah. But he just he just finds the perfect ways to describe things that just like it's it's hard for me to make me laugh out loud yeah. and I laugh out loud daily reading his stuff just because it's so good and for those that may not know Erica has fully she's one of the most funny people I've ever been fortunate <laughs> enough to meet she's kind of like this perfectly pristine and put together tall beautiful woman but at the same time there's uh like a jokester like a real jokester to her and I feel like it catches people off guard because you don't expect that level of humor from someone who's seemingly so put together and you know you don't look conservative but you kind of feel conservative at the onset which I think is hilarious but it's 
funny to know who who makes you laugh because I feel like you were responsible for making so many people laugh all the time well thank you I've 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 tried to turn some other people on to it's Michael Michael K yeah and actually I've read the um read an interview with Tina Fey where she said that that's like one of her favorite really (laughs) and I love and complimented it and said like you know the writing is great so so where do you go to for inspiration to kind of stay with it um delisted plus (laughs) um for inspiration as far as like you know creative inspiration I I, you know we talk a lot about kind of the process and mine is very public because I have to work with people and on the phone all day and for you to get your job done while there is a lot of collaboration at the onset especially with clients talking about their objectives and the strategy in terms of building the narrative but a lot of the work that you do is solo in focus and so where do you go to kind of get that fuel for a new way or a new approach to kind of presenting information? Um, I would say I, I am, I've always been a reader, but I have been trying to read more frequently this year. Um, so just reading both fiction and nonfiction. Um, there's also another guy that I like who's actually from Austin. His name is Austin Cleon, and he's written a few different books. One is called um, Steal Like an Artist, another Show, oh, show Your that. Work. Yeah. But I subscribe to his weekly newsletter, yeah. and he always has a lot of interesting like food for thought in there that he has a lot of interviews with people who are authors, mm-hmm. um, composers, just different creative people, and so that's always kind of a good... Um, refuel every week that I read those and just look at different he has a lot of things about like the way people work where they draw their inspiration so I think that's helpful um and I've been trying to to um just uh subscribe to different things like that I find one thing that I have found is I'm trying to read less like industry public fewer industry Mm -hmm. publications like when I read about marketing it just starts feeling like very like clinical navel gazing yeah (laughs) after a while we're all talking to ourselves and it's all great yeah so I've been trying to read more about like other subjects like more things like I've subscribed like the writer's almanac and read that every day like you know I'm gonna read a poem every day instead of like reading another article about like content marketing yeah (laughs) the five steps that you must know to get it right (laughs) yeah there's a lot of steps these days and it feels a little redundant in terms of how many tips people are spewing out not that people don't need that kind of information but I feel like to get off the traditional trade publications is really helpful because it kind of takes your mind in new directions Yeah, because also, like, for example, like, I like to cook, and there's this blog that um, I follow called Budget Bites. It's one of my favorite food blogs, and I feel inspired by her because it's probably one of the best um, composed blogs of any kind out there. Just everything is perfect. In fact, I need to, I keep meaning to email this girl, like, a fan (laughs) letter. (laughs) You can do it right now. Just say it on, say it on the little podcast. Budget Bites. I love you. Um, Thank you for the many nights of great eats. Just everything from like that you click on a recipe to pin it and the way that it's displayed is perfect. Yeah. Um, the When you go to print it, everything is perfect. The fact that she doesn't like go in and tell her life story about every recipe, which a lot of other 
uh, food blogs do where you know people tell you like oh this is what I did this weekend and then oh my kid threw a tantrum in Target blah 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 oh and anyway about this macaroni and cheese <laughs> is like two pages later and yeah. she doesn't do that and it just um it always reminds me of like the importance of like you know short concise focused storytelling because yeah. she'll add like some personality in there but it's always about the recipe and so it's it's just very well done. And so I guess that's an example of drawing inspiration from other industries or sources. How I feel like, you know, and this can be explained just because the times have changed and now we have all these different platforms that kind of give a window into people's lives. How different do you think it is telling stories for brands or companies or even people today because of social media? Like I feel like the demand to be more authentic and more front and center and more real, the appetite for real has evolved am i am i alone in thinking that or do you feel like people demand more authenticity and more truth telling i think so i think it even uh, um, affects things like um i've noticed that um the way brands talk is very much like much more personal like Mm -hmm. like you're having a a conversation with a person like even even to the point where they you know everything is we Mm -hmm. um you know really it's grammatically correct to say for example like apc collective announced its podcast series well now you would say there yeah you would say there you'd say Mm -hmm. we you'd say our so you know that's a subtle difference but i've just noticed that that's very pervasive now that like if you it's almost like the grammatically correct now seems too formal and too cold. cold. Yeah. What do you think? Because I know that you're kind of a stickler for all things grammar. And what do you... You know what's funny is I'm actually not... I'm very open to like language changing over really? the years. Yeah. And I think some people get really hung up on it. But it's like, well, I, I mean, I think the... I always go back to the rule that if, if something feels wrong to people, then it almost becomes wrong. wrong. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I've always assumed that there is a right way and that's the way, like the APC style guide, right? Yeah, and there is, there definitely is a right way, but it does. Did I say APC evolve. style guide? <laughs> yes. It's the AP style. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's AP style guide. I've always thought that that's like, that's the correct form and that's what we should follow. But I do feel like there is a, uh, a wider um, wider gap for interpretation than ever before. Yes. And I think sometimes people just get so hung up on grammar. I mean, grammar is important, but um, I think sometimes people get like just this thrill out of like catching errors and it's like, well, okay, that doesn't mean that you're telling the story right just because it's grammatically correct. Who's telling great stories right now, brand-wise? Company-wise? Brand-wise? I think that um, one, Patagonia has always done a good job. Yeah. Um, I think, well, to be quite candid, I think... I've always noticed that HEB does a good job and in a way um, it feels like they do a lot of things that some other brands like kind of should have done and owned yeah um, with like the local and um, which that story is fascinating yeah 
like started I think in the downstairs of a home and a, as a general store and it was a woman that started it because I think her husband had passed or something it was I need to get the details right but it, it's like a woman owned or woman started business and out of necessity to kind of take care of her family and keep it all in one place oh really yeah I didn't know that I kind of geek out on Wikipedia <laughs> I'm kind of drawing a blank even though it's like as I notice things I'm like oh wow they're doing that's that's really good who do you think I've always um, been a fan might jog my memory I've always been a fan of Starbucks I was actually that was my yeah. first thought I've always thought they, they kind of started in a way that was intentional and from paying their employees a fair wage to offering insurance to tuition reimbursement I feel like I've, I've worked on the brand before and I just feel like knowing the company at the heart of leadership, I feel like they're just, I know it's an ex- seemingly expensive cup of coffee, but there's a lot that goes into that. A lot of rigor that goes into getting it right and a lot of fair treatment of their employee base. So I, I feel like to me, the story has to be lived. Like you kind of have to be what you're talking about. And, and I think they do it brilliantly. And funny enough, I feel like they've just started advertising right like they've just started their brand storytelling in a way that seems um more intentional than before so there was a lot of pr before this yeah one that um i think of that's you know about like kind of living the brand like show don't tell is nordstrom as well where yeah. it's you know every day their their customer service and they're you know like you experience the brand promise yeah. without like you know they don't they don't have to say explicitly like we have great customer service because you go in and you you feel, you feel it, it and you see that it's different and that brings up an interesting point in the fact that like we've we focused a lot on the words and the narrative and getting that story right but truly building anything whether it's a restaurant or a you know a Nordstrom like you kind of have to build it from the experience and the consumer perspective because that probably speaks louder than any copy. Um, so in that way, you know, I feel like there's a lot of companies that are consumer focused or consumer oriented, but they may not be as celebrated. Yeah. But good experiences. And I feel like I'm an abnormal, probably because I'm a marketer, I just look at companies and situations and experiences with a little bit more of a critical eye. I'm like someone should say that like my sister takes the kids on special days probably Fridays to Krispy Kreme in the morning <laughs> totally riding her out she's a good mom but they get like these kolaches type I don't know what it, I don't know if that's what they're called but there's a guy there that every morning he's just the most loving and like bright and every day if you ask him how are you doing he's like it's today's the best day of my life and he's just so sweet and it's just like you know I don't like Krispy Kreme I used to when I didn't necessarily think about the calories I consumed but just to know that that's the experience I mean that's the brand story yeah so I feel like in that way depending on where you go the story kind of comes off the page or off the billboard and how you're treated and the quality of products but we don't think about that so much in marketing like there's there's a certain amount we can control and there's a lot that we can't Um, so I feel like that's an interesting toggle between I can make you look good. I can make you sound good. But if at the end of the day, the consumer experience is off, then there's only so much you can do. Yeah. And I do think that that's a place where social media kind of most, um, reiterates, you know, because, uh, our counsel that, you know, you need to walk the talk. Like you Mm -hmm. can't just say that you care about 
the community, that you care about the environment, that you know your your product is well made because it's you know, companies have always gotten letters from angry consumers or like letters of praise, but now everyone can see those letters on their Facebook page or on Twitter, and so. Um, or holding them accountable. Yeah, when we say, well, you can claim that, but that's not really the experience people are having. Well, yeah, they they can see that that's not the experience yeah. that people are having. So I think it hopefully helps them change a little more quickly. And it also, yeah, it, it adds to our argument that you can't just pay lip service to things. What do you think about, like, the future of, of storytelling and marketing? Like, is it, cha- I mean... There's a lot that we've done. Maybe the channels have changed, but the work is pretty much the same. Or do you feel like we're headed for a different kind of turn with more technology? Like, can anything that we do be automated to some extent? Um, yes. Well, some of it. I, I think that, you know, that's already happening, apparently, like in financial reporting and sports reporting, things where they just kind of plug in the stats of like a baseball game and just put out a a story and so but still with that I mean I think with nuts and bolts reports like that you know there's there's a worry but I think when it comes to like getting to the heart of a story and like you know having the empathy and identifying why people should care I think that that's going to be difficult so if you were talking to a client that didn't necessarily have a Dell budget or a Whole Foods budget and it's a new startup, what would you tell them in terms of building their story? Where do they start? Is it with that question? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Why should we care? Yeah, it's like, who cares? Why? Also, what is what makes you unique? What makes you unique to that audience too? Because again, it, it does... I think really defining that audience well is important too, especially because things are so fractured now where, you know, people have so many channels to choose from, um, that, you know, finding people is more difficult, but you only have to find the right people. So you really do need to like, make sure you know who those people are. So, um, I would say that that's important. And then just like really honing in on what matters to those people. And then, and then from there, it's choosing the um, approaches. But that could be everything from like you know the in-store experience to um, you know there's there's things you can do on a budget. Um, but I think knowing that is important and what's going to resonate with those people. So, what do you think is next in your story? I mean, whether it's your career or your personal life, like where what story are you building? Um. I think the story I'm building is that I do want to I'm not sure if I want to make an exclusive focus on kind of more cause related clients because there are some still some things I do and enjoy that aren't explicitly cause related but so that's one thing that I'm trying to weigh but it's definitely something that I want to um you know put out there as a as a focus I've, I've kind of said like oh yeah I, that's I do that but you know, I think I might like to more aggressively court um, some things in that area. But uh, I think long term, I have thought about the, uh, writing a book, but I don't know about what. And it wouldn't be about me or anything, but it would be just a book about something. 
I just read books all the time. I think like nonfiction, it would be mm-hmm. a nonfiction book. It wouldn't be like a novel, but mm-hmm. read books all the time. I'm like, well, I would have enjoyed like learning about a subject like this and then writing a book about it. And I know that I could do it, but I just don't know what. I also think it must be difficult is. because to some extent you kind of write a book a year on some of these assignments, <laughs> you know, when you're talking about a hundred plus pages or even, I mean, and those are big pages, they're not small pages, they're not traditional book size pages. I feel like, does that take away from the creative endeavors and aspirations because so much of that energy is taken up with your day job? Maybe so, because I mean, I find that even when I um, want to volunteer with nonprofits, for, for example, you know, when they find out that I write, it's like, oh, we need, a, we need things written and, you know, I want to help a nonprofit, but at the same time, that's what I do all day. And so <laughs> yeah. sometimes I want to just, you know, clean the dog kennels and <laughs> plant the garden. Not right. The next brochure. <laughs> so. I get it. I totally get it. And I feel like that about, um, there's also a muscle though. I feel like you kind of don't turn off. So when you see work that represents work that is your field, you're like, I feel like I go into critique mode or would you know, and I would, and you may want to think about, and that's exhausting too, because it's just a, a reflex that I don't feel gets turned off. So, yeah. So it's something I'd like to look into about like, what is, what does that entail? How do you get started? Like, I mean, cause there's more than just, Oh, I'm interested in like canary raising canaries. And so I'm going to write about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she's not lying. She actually probably does know a lot about raising canaries. Or, um, so to some extent, I find a lot of people, especially kind of um, young people getting into the field of marketing and wanting to land a job in you know, an agency, whether it's traditional advertising or PR or now digital, there is so many, I, not misconceptions, because it is an agency and there's only some many thoughts that you could have about an agency, but I feel like people have questions and I've found a lot of, um, not a lot, a few people have come to me dissatisfied with their day job, however much it feeds them or provides for them. And just say like, I really want to write and I just want to write. So what, what advice would you give to, and I've mentioned a few of those people to you, but what, what advice would you give the writers, the aspiring writers that probably, um, found themselves in a situation where they can pay rent, but it's not necessarily fulfilling their souls. Or do we need to just tell them to pay their dues and eventually they'll find the perfect avenue? Um, I would say, you know, first, because we did talk about, you know, burnout and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, it can be hard to find the, the energy to do more on the side. So I would say, you know, number one is looking for more opportunities to write within your job. I know that I did that, that I always looked for opportunities and I don't think I even did it consciously well I know I didn't do it consciously um but I've just kind of gravitated toward um projects involve more writing so I would say number one would be just to look for things that are happening in your agency that might involve more writing and volunteer for those make it known that you want to do more writing within your job I would say that's number one just because if you already have that job but um two would be to look you know, outside of the, your job for some opportunities to freelance that, you know, of course, aren't conflicts of interest with your current clients. So that is one area where maybe doing something for a nonprofit, for example, could be a good opportunity to, you know, 
find a cause you believe in, do their, whether it's social media or, you know, I want to write their newsletter or their annual report, that kind of thing. I think, I especially think if you kind of do it all with the same organization and build that up almost like a client in a way where you can show like this body of work that like I helped this group, you know, grow their membership mm-hmm. or get donations or things like that. So it adds up. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Erica. I look forward to reading more of your copy, long form, short form, <laughs> and that book Thanks. on how to raise canaries. Yes. So delisted, budget bites. Yes. Anything else? Um, oh, there's also another interesting um, newsletter. I, I, when Because I write and have to focus, I'm trying to like limit how much like my attention gets fractured so I've been really into newsletters lately of things that just like come once a day once a week where I can say okay now I have time to read this and read it versus like you know chasing all these tweets and stuff Mm -hmm. but anyway there's this other um newsletter I think is interesting called Atlas Obscura that's about like all kinds of like hidden facts of history like you won't believe what was in the 16th century manuscript <laughs> look look within and <laughs> that's awesome that's really good so that's just, clickbait. yeah i just i just find that um looking into lots of random subjects helps you become a well-rounded person i'm always amazed by like how those things somehow come in handy later I'm like, oh this reminds me of my reading about napoleon the other day <laughs> Yeah, no, I get it. Okay, so Atlas Obscura. Yeah. I'm going to go check that out right now. Thank you for your time. Thanks for sharing your stories, and thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you. Hi, thanks so much for listening to us at APC Chats. Hopefully you walk away with some additional perspective or insight that you didn't have before. That said, if you want to continue the conversation, please do so following us at APC Collective on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks so much.